Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. I'll try to be a little briefer than normal this evening so that we won't burn up before you get out of here. And I'll probably lose you before I get done with the heat anyway. Uh, hold your hold your Bible open. I'm not going to read it as a, uh, a scripture reading, but I'm going to read each verse as I preach this evening and from the second chapter of Job. You probably won't remember, but I preached two sermons last October from the first chapter of Job. And in that particular chapter, we found the situation in which the angels of God came before God in heaven to give an account of their activities, and amongst them was Satan. And I've been asked the question as to why God would allow Satan in his presence, and I honestly don't know why he would allow that. But he did. He allowed Satan to be in amidst those that served God and giving an account of themselves. And so God addresses Satan in that first chapter and asks where he has been. And Satan says that he's been down on earth going to and fro amongst the people of earth, walking up and down it. Satan is doing exactly that thing today. And in the process of the conversation, God asked Job if he paid any attention to, or God asked Satan if he had paid any attention to his servant Job. And God bragged on him as to what a fine person he was. He called him perfect and upright in the seventh, or the eighth verse of this first chapter, and one that feared God and hated evil. But Satan comes back to him and says, the only reason that he serves you is because you have built a hedge around him and won't let anybody or anything get into him. You've protected him completely. And he said, if you would touch the possessions that he has and take them away from you, Uh, from him, then he would curse you. That was the charge that Satan gave, and God said, all right, I will allow you to do to him whatever you will, except you can't touch him, only that which he owns. And in that chapter, we find that in one day's time, Job lost everything that he had, including all of his children, all of the possessions, that he owned, everything was gone in one day's time, had been wiped out. There was various tragedies that came upon all that he owned, his flocks and and herds and even all of his family except his wife. And one would think that under circumstances like that, that There might be some question in Job's mind as to whether or not he's going to serve God from this point on or not. And oftentimes, when tragedy comes, people start turning away from God, when it really ought to be the time that we turn to God. And the tragedy struck, 
And Job said in the final two verses, in the final, yes, two verses, verse 21, he said, Naked I came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. In other words, I was born naked, I will die naked. Then he says, The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In those words, we have the very summary as to how we ought to respond in times of difficulty. It makes no difference whether we're in times of prosperity or in poverty, whether we're in sickness or in health, whether we have difficulties or whether we have a life of ease. It really should make no difference when it comes to our thoughts about God. And this was the way Job looked at it. He praised God in his wealth, and he praised God now that he had lost everything. And the last verse of chapter 1 says that Job sinned not, and he did not charge God with the responsibility of causing all of this to take place. He did not foolishly attribute the tragedy to God. Well, that was his first trial when he lost all of his possessions. In the second chapter, we find his second trial. And we have a very similar situation beginning in the very first verse of chapter 2. Again, there was a day when the sons of God, these are angels, they're identified as the sons of God, came to present themselves before the Lord. The angels that God has created are for his service and they are out somewhere doing something to serve God. We've all heard of guardian angels and I believe that the Lord has given an angel to take care of us in many cases. So here they were coming before the Lord again and again Satan is amongst them. They presented themselves to the Lord in verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan again, now the second time, Where have you been? Where'd you come from? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth. Sometimes we don't recognize that Satan is where we are. We almost look at him as a being off way somewhere, like sometimes we think about God as being off somewhere. God's up in heaven, not on earth, in most of the time in our minds. And Satan's someplace else. He doesn't seem to be around. But you can be sure that the scripture teaches that the abode of Satan is on the earth in amongst us. And his job is to destroy us if he can, and certainly to destroy our testimony. And we sometimes allow him to use us for that very purpose in destroying our testimony. There are some Christian people who have done more to damage the image of the gospel and of the church than non-Christian people ever will. Because Satan has gotten into their life and gotten them under his control. Because they were not strong enough to resist him when he showed up. Here he is, on earth, and walking up and down in it, to and fro, all over the place. 
for the purpose that he has of destroying our testimony so that people will not become Christian. All right, verse 3, And the Lord said unto Satan, Second time again, Have you considered my servant Job? I've always wondered if Satan still has the opportunity of going back before God, and if God asked that same question, and I've wondered if he ever asked about me. Have you ever wondered if he ever asked about you? Said God would say to Satan, Well, where have you been? I've been down Turtle Creek, walking to and fro up the four lane. And I wonder if God ever says, Well, have you observed my little church there on the side of the road? Or did he fail to mention us? And did he mention you by name and me by name? And say that we were his faithful servants doing his work? We hated evil. We loved God. But he did of Job. And God says there is none like him in all the earth, a perfect and upright man. The second time he's made that statement. One that fears God and hates evil. And then he says in the latter portion of verse 3, And still he holdeth fast his integrity, though thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. There are three things in that little phrase that I think we need to look at. Number one, God said Job is still holding his integrity in spite of everything that has happened and his loss of everything, he still has his integrity. Sometimes we lose our integrity. When our integrity is lost, our witness is lost. And we are looked upon by other Christian people and even the world in general as being people to be skeptical of because they don't stand firm in times of distress and trouble. When things go wrong, they get mad and leave. When things go wrong, they get mad at their husbands or wife and have a fight. When things go wrong, they pout. When things go wrong, they quit their job. When things go wrong, they do something that is totally unreasonable for them to do and they would not have done had they retained their integrity. But because they lost it in the process, they have failed not only themselves, but they have failed God in that they no longer have any integrity to hold up to the world to say that they are not afraid of the difficulties that might come. This man, Job, had his integrity, and he did not lose it. Then notice what he says. And I, I had to look at this this afternoon again and, and, because it amazes me when it says, Although thou, that is Satan, although Satan movest me, that's God, against Job. Now, now listen to those words. Although Satan moved God against Job. Satan puts a statement before God that challenged him. And God was determined to prove Satan wrong. 
And if there is any reason that I can come up with to answer why God would allow Satan in his presence, it is for God to prove Satan wrong. And I wonder how many times Satan goes into the presence of God and laughs in God's face and says about you and me, see, I told you they wouldn't stand. I told you they'd fold. I told you they'd curse you. I told you they'd quit church. I told you they'd cease praying. I told you they'd no longer read their Bible. And he'd be right. God wants people who will stand firm in spite of anything that might come even if God did it himself. They will stand firm and not blame God for it. He said, you, Satan, moved me, God, against Job for the purpose of destroying him when there was no cause to destroy him. And Job didn't fold. But I ought to have told Satan something. It ought to tell the world something when we stand firm and do not knuckle under to pressure simply because it comes upon us regardless of the source of that pressure. All right. The third thing that I think we can notice in these three things is that God is in complete control that is he either does the act or he permits the act Satan could do nothing except God gave him permission to do it and God said to Satan alright I accept your challenge you can take away from him everything he owns but you can't touch him this time he says, all right, you can touch his body, but you can't take his life. Verse 4, Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. What he's saying is, yeah, you didn't, you didn't touch him. All you did was take what he owned, and, and people will give up the possessions. But you start touching a person himself. Start bringing illness into an individual's life for no cause at all, and he'll curse you. Touch his bone, verse 5, put forth your hand now and touch his bone, his flesh, and he'll curse thee to thy face. I surely would hope that there is not one of us that has turned and blasphemed the name of God because of what might have happened to us in our life. But there are those that do it. Verse 6, the Lord says unto Satan, All right, he's in your hand, but save his life. Verse 7, So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore moils from the sole of his feet into his crown. I want to ask you, how many of you have ever had a boil? You folk that never had a boil don't know what you missed. Two-thirds of you never had one. Let me tell you, that is the most excruciating pain that I ever experienced. Now you imagine, those of you who had boils, that you had them on the soles of your feet. 
all the way up your body to the top of your head and you were covered with boils on every place a boil could be. That would be misery. And that's exactly what Satan did to Job in putting these boils upon him to the point that Job sat down in ashes and he took there in verse 8 what's called a potsherd that is simply a broken piece of pottery those are called potsherds when archaeologists start digging up various places and look through the pottery that they find all the broken pieces they call potsherds I learned that when I was in seminary many years ago and he took one of these potsherds and he scraped his skin to scrape those boils. He sat down in ashes. And verse 9, he gets a lot of sympathy from his wife. And his wife said unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Of all the people in the world who ought not to encourage a person to turn away from his God, it ought to be his wife or it ought to be her husband. Surely we ought to encourage each other to remain faithful to God if we have a believing spouse more than anybody else in the world. And it shows the degree to which Job had sunk that even his wife had turned against God and had thought that he ought to commit suicide. That's exactly what she was suggesting that he do. Why do you maintain, she is saying, why do you maintain that you are innocent? Why don't you simply curse God and kill yourself and get it over with. And his answer is a pretty good one. You are a foolish woman. You are speaking what you don't know anything about. And he says, should we receive good at the hand of, shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? Why should we expect that simply because we believe in God that everything is going to go right? Do we have any reason to think that we're good enough that God is going to put a hedge around us and protect us and never allow anything bad to happen? I think that I'm not good enough to ask for that protection. And I think none of you are as well. We will take the bad with the good, and we will praise God regardless of whether it's bad or good. That's our attitude, the way, the way we ought to react. Be it bad or be it good, we will take it as it comes. And yet, sometimes we act as if God should protect us and never allow anything to happen to us. 
And then when it happens, we begin seemingly to find the scapegoat. It seemingly is always somebody else's fault, and I have been put to shame because of what somebody else did. Listen, that is the wrong attitude entirely. We cannot help all the things that happen. Think in our families at the things that have gone wrong. All of the problems that we have all faced within our family. Do we have any right to ask that God would not allow us to be hurt in any way? Isn't it through all of these trials that our faith is deepened and strengthened? Isn't it not in these difficult times that we discover that there are other people who understand and who will reach out to us and love us and accept us just for what we are? Is there a single person who can stand behind this pulpit or sit in the pew and say that we have never done such a thing or thought such a thing? How dare you mar our integrity? I suspect that there are none of us who would be willing to allow our life to be opened up like a book and everybody see everything about us. Does anyone want to volunteer for that kind of examination? I think we would not. Because things do happen. We cause them. They are done to us within our families, within our community, within our friends, within our church. And we will not hang our head in shame, but we will hold our integrity and say, in spite of all this, we still believe in God. And although we might have fallen and faltered, we still intend to serve Him. Job had three friends. With this, I'll conclude. Their names are Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. These three men had heard about the problems, the plight of Job. And so they got together and said, we need to go visit Job. And that's certainly one of the things that Christian people ought to do. When somebody else is in difficulty, we need to show friendship. We should never allow one of our members to suffer alone. We should be there to help them. We should never put somebody else down. We should be there to encourage them and to support them. These three men started out with that idea. We're going over and we're going to support Job. They came to mourn with him and to comfort him, and that's what we ought to do. And when they got close to Job, they were still some distance off, they saw him, they couldn't believe their eyes, and they began to weep and tear their clothes, and they sprinkled dust upon their heads as a sign of extreme grief. They could not believe that their good friend had sunk to such a degree that he looked so terrible. They sat down with him. And for seven days and seven nights, we're told here in the 13th verse, they sat with their friend. Now later on, their advice to him does not jive well with their original intention, and we'll deal with that in future times. But at this point in time, they have a good intention of sitting down with him and comforting him 
in his time of need. And that is exactly the position that we as a church and individual Christians ought to take when there is somebody in our midst in trouble, we ought to gather around, lift them up and support them, whatever that trouble might be. A lot of times it's sickness, a lot of times it's family problems, a lot of times it's problems with children, a lot of times it's work-related, and on and on we could go. But whatever that need might be, we will support, never condemn, never condemn. Because to do so would be a compromise the very purpose that God has in our lives, and that is that we are to represent Him. And He was never one who put somebody down. He was always ready to pick them up and support them in their time of need. And forgive them their sin, if that's what it took, to heal their body, if that's what it took, but to love them. And people gathered around him because he was lovable. And we must be the same. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.